0: Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. It's true, my name is Taylor. Yeah, and there we go. Um, Excited to be with everybody this morning. Uh, my wife Lacey and I have been uh, married for 12 and a half years. We are high school sweethearts originally from Nashville. This is a fun weekend that I get to uh, just share and teach this morning. Um, and it's also a weekend where for the first time ever, I think, since our children were born, that all of our, all of our parents are here just like happen to converge. Uh, they didn't know that I was speaking here because I didn't tell them. Um, <laughs> Until it was like, wait, you're all going to be here that weekend? Oh, y'all want to come to church, uh, which is fun. So uh, they're here. We have three kids who are all in there right now. You may hear a few of them at some point. Um, but before we get any further, I just want to say that, uh, yeah, we, Lacey and I have, have lived in Tyler almost 13 years. We've been a part of Hoff for about two and a half years, and this place, you guys, Um, This community has turned into like one of, if not the best surprises, the best necessities that I think we have needed in our lives. This place, this church has come at, man, just like the perfect time for us. It's exactly what we needed, who we needed, and where we've needed to be for the last two and a half years. I don't feel like uh, we get to do this very often, but I want to speak on behalf of all of House of Faith and just honor you guys. Uh, Daniel ran 108,000 meters yesterday. <laughs> he ran 108K and uh, I texted Nicole this morning. Yeah, he finished it too. And uh, I texted Nicole, I was like, are you really coming to church? And I texted Nicole because I figured Daniel would be dead but he's not uh he was taking his walker up the ramp and uh man i with that said in front of everybody speaking on behalf of hoff we just honor you two for your faith man for like your wonderful marriage and family um for the way that you listen to the lord and i think every single person here if you've been at hoff for any stretch of time that you know that this place, this community is being steered by the voice of the Lord. Amen? Amen. That, that this place is going wherever the Lord wants it to go. Yes. And that's why this is different. Um, and so thank you guys for putting on display like what it means, what it looks like, and the effects and the result of just listening to the voice of God and following Jesus just in your daily lives. So thank you. We honor you guys. Um, with that, yeah, big round of applause if you all want to. For sure, um, I want to I want to read a passage um, that God has been impressing upon me for for probably eight months now, um, and I want to to dive into something probably most of us, if you've been around faith at any point in your life, the Christian faith, you have heard this passage. I want to dive into it. I want to share something that God's really put on my heart, really has um, directed me, reshaped me the last eight to nine months, and it's really neat. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll share a few times, but uh, just a few things that Daniel said last week, and then maybe even a a couple things that Laurel even sang this morning, which is really neat when that happens. The passage is Mark 12. Mark 12, 28 through 31, where where, uh, Jesus is in a moment— and the Pharisees' religious leaders are cornering him, trying to trap him. Mark 12, 28-31, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them all well, asked him, Teacher, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for another day where your mercies are new. Thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. And thank you that even in the midst of a life that just feels confusing, a life that feels overwhelming a lot of times, even on this side of just salvation and walking with you, it can get uh, tiring sometimes, that right here you really boil it down to one thing, and that's just to love you with all our heart, with all our soul all our mind, and all of our strength, and that will just naturally, organically produce a love for the people around us. I pray that at the end of this, no matter what is said, no matter what is thought, that we would just love you more. Would you teach us to live wholeheartedly, as you did and modeled and now empower us with to live wholeheartedly. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, several months ago, I read a story about author and poet David White, W H Y T E. His work centers on articulating the longings of the human heart. When he was much younger, he worked years at a nonprofit and staggering under the ongoing weight of trying to repair the world. He described his work as the wonderful, stressful dynamic we find ourselves in when we are constantly striving to do work for which we don't have the time and quite often the energy to do. Over the the course of the first several years of his life, this hopeless perspective began to take a, a toll on him. He was helping the world, but at the same time losing his soul. The violent pace and excessive load were crushing him. And so one day, he reached out uh, in the midst of a breaking point to a friend of his. He returned home on the edge of burnout and despair and reached out to a friend of his who was a Benedictine monk who came over that evening to drink poetry or to, to read poetry and drink wine and maybe both. Uh, But as soon as his friend arrived, White quickly hijacked the conversation with the pain of his heart. Desperate for some kind of insight on how to restore his soul, he shoved a glass of wine in the monk's hand and pleaded, Speak to me of exhaustion. Tell me of exhaustion. Somewhat surprised, the monk looked at him to see the seriousness of his request. Discerning the desperation in his voice, he responded slowly you know the antidote for exhaustion is not necessarily rest. And then he paused. At this, White's countenance fell. Not rest. Then what on earth could it be? More prayer? More scripture and meditation? More work? More self-help? Another practice or program to do? And then the monk continued slowly. You know, the antidote for exhaustion is not necessarily rest. It is wholeheartedness. I think the reason so many of us are on or have felt like we have constantly been on the verge of exhaustion and burnout and despair. The reason so many of us are not thriving. The the reason so many of us are not feeling fully alive is not that we don't have what it takes to face the challenges of our lives. I think it's because we are living and doing it all with half of our hearts. We are living what I call disintegrated, disintegrated. And the only treatment, the only antidote is to love God and neighbor with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And so this morning, I wanna make a case for living wholeheartedly. I want to make a case for for living fully alive from a place of wholeness that we have already been given in Jesus Christ. And then briefly, what life looks like as we integrate with Him and what the result is. Does that sound good? Uh, I think we can agree to some extent that our world, our culture, in some way, or in always is di- in always is disintegrated. Do we agree to some extent? Uh, I think this is also the side note. This is also why Jesus calls us salt of the earth on the Sermon on the Mount. We hear, "You are the salt of the earth." We are to live with seasoning. We are to live with a bite, if you will. But salt in uh, you know first century times was of course a food preservative. Uh, we are the salt of the earth. We have been called to preserve His culture. We've been called to preserve his ways, to preserve the way to abundant life. Last week, DT just briefly said we are, we are called to thrive in every sphere of our lives. If you take a survey of Scripture from the beginning all the way through the New Testament, you will see that God has designed, sustained, provided a life of thriving. A way of life of abundance for us, a way of life that is living fully alive, especially in difficult, tumultuous, exhausting times. If you do a survey and you look back at our very first assignment, at the original assignment in Genesis 1, you're going to see that we are called, we are designed, we are made to essentially partner with God in keeping all of this and putting all of this back together as God's people. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, the wild animals, over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then verse 28 of Genesis 1. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And that word subdue stands out because it means to bring under control. We have been placed here to bring our spheres of life under the control of Of the one who created it all under the control of the one who sustains it who blesses it so our first and original and current assignment is to subdue right and we talk a lot here at hoff that as god's people as we bring the earth under the control in our families friend circles neighborhoods workplaces to the ends of the earth the goal is to of course manifest heaven on earth right The reality of heaven here on earth in our lives. And we, of course, do this in partnership with the Holy Spirit who is alive in us. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, you're still with me. This is our original purpose, and he is the only power to do it. The interesting dichotomy here is that we live in a world that is disintegrated in many most Ways. It is falling apart, it seems. And too often, we let it disintegrate us. I let it dis- disintegrate me. And therefore, the cycle continues that because I feel or, or sense or just am disconnected in heart, soul, mind, strength, the world then disintegrates more and more. You look around your spheres, and I don't think it's difficult to say that we do, we do let the world, the flesh, and the enemy systematically tear us apart if we're not careful. That even as God's people, we, we can and sometimes do adopt or align with the world's ways until we look up and at the last minute we realize that we are somewhere we never wanted to be. That we are someone we never meant to become. That there are characteristics of our lives that we are people who are rushed. Who are anxious. Depressed. Bitter. Numb. Empty. Stuck. Hopeless. We think scarcity instead of abundance. We think fixed instead of thinking growth. Where we pray futile instead of praying big and expectant where we are distracted instead of single-minded, where we operate and think in a rigid religious system instead of living in total freedom in Christ. These are the effects, these are the results of walking toward the tree of knowledge, right? Of good and evil that that Daniel has spoken about often and did last week. That's disintegration, where we think and live as if your heart, mind, soul, and strength are disconnected from the truth of the reality that we have already, all the way, been made whole in Jesus Christ. Uh, I think it's safe to say that the last three to four years have been weird. Maybe they've kicked the mess out of you. Personally, transparently, since about summer 2020, up until uh, a handful of months ago, I have felt personally like I have been in a commercial washing machine of leadership pain. That I've been forced to live faster than I want to or that I need to. My kids are getting bigger, and so are their problems. It seems to be more and more difficult to navigate constant changes to our environment in the American atmosphere. I'll also sincerely and transparently say that I have felt disintegrated in so many ways with my belief system, with my way of thinking, where a lot of perspectives, beliefs, rhythms, Stuff that's been lying subconsciously under the ground of my heart, mind, and soul have now busted and recently busted through the surface and tried to take me apart in some ways the last three to four years. There are times when my heart, soul, mind, and strength have felt disconnected from each other, disintegrated. What about you? What about you? What have the last few years felt, looked like? What about the last 20 to 30? Have you consistently felt anxious, tired, downcast, not like yourself? Are you feeling relationally splintered in any way? Are you feeling personally fractured in any way? Have you made space, truly made space to press pause, review with the Lord, anything in your heart, mind, soul, and strength that is not all in and aligned with His heart his ways. Now, if you survey the Bible, you will consistently see a running thread of wholeheartedness since the beginning. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is, of course, what Jesus is quoting in this moment in Mark 12 that I started with. If you continue on, you're going to see it again several chapters later. Deuteronomy 13, verse 3. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of the dreams. Essentially, you shall not listen to whatever the powers of the world are telling you. uh, Deuteronomy 13 continues. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. Joshua two five is another moment that pops up here. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Another moment in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 28.9, speaking to Solomon, You shall know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. Psalm 119, verse 10, it comes up again. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Joel 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And these are just a handful of the verses of wholeheartedness that are threaded throughout the Old Testament. This theme of wholeheartedness is important to God. And of course, it's right there in the greatest commandment. When asked about, when tried to be trapped, they're trying to trap him, they're trying to catch him, they're trying to corner him. When asked about all of the 613 or whatever commandments, Jesus says, when it all comes down to it, when you get flooded with religious to-dos. When you get confused on what the next step is. When you feel like life just isn't flowing like it has before. When things are confusing and crowding you and you are exhausted. When it comes down to it, all of this can be summed up in this. Love me wholeheartedly. And let that transfer and overflow naturally to the people around you. And he, you know, does a Messiah mic drop. Wholeheartedness is the wholeness that we have in the life, death, resurrection, and in the spirit of Jesus, empowering the abundant life he now gives us on earth. And the antidote to a life of disintegration is wholeheartedness. And this wholeheartedness can only come from wholeness. This wholehearted life only comes from wholeness. So what is this wholeness? What is wholeness? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans 6, 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we might too walk in newness of life. Romans 8:1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2:20 I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Colossians 3.3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Did you see any themes there? These are just a handful of the times where the Father, through Paul, seems to be obsessed with letting us know that we are in Christ. All of us, all the way, already in Christ. And man, we spend our whole lives chasing the, chasing the pieces to wholeness. I feel like I spend a lot of my life chasing the pieces to wholeness. Anybody else? Where we go after these truths and techniques or knowledge or practices that will fill the holes of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When God himself over and over in the New Testament all along is telling us all along that we already have it all because we already have him all we no longer chase wholeness we no longer work towards wholeness instead he has flipped the script and we now live and operate from wholeness it's no longer about our performance or appearance or professional christian knowledge this wholeness comes from our position with god in christ you have already been given everything in Christ, the true tree of life, to thrive, to live fully alive in every sphere of your life that you may think the tree of knowledge can give you. Daniel read last week, uh, Jeremiah 17, that says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. This is the moment for us still today that causes the drift that leads to disintegration. That is the disconnection of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to love God and the people around you and to thrive where you are. It's when we, in any way, trust in ourselves, trust in anything else other than Him. Is that fair to say? But the truth of the Bible, the truth of the New Testament, is that God has put us together He has fully put us back together, redeemed and restored us fully in Christ. He has given you wholeness in him. And so now the question is, why am I still exhausted? Why am I still doubting and hopeless in some of the spheres of my life that I'm called to thrive in? Why do I feel like I have a split focus? Why does it feel like I have a split heart and a split life? It is because the enemy knows that the greatest commandment is our greatest and only solution. The reason we know we have wholeness, but why do I keep ending up here where I feel split in some way? It's because I believe the enemy knows that the greatest commandment holds our greatest and only solution. He knows that wholeheartedness is the only antidote. He knows what holds you together. He knows what advances truth. He knows what proclaims and builds the kingdom of heaven on earth. He knows what brings people to reconciliation. He knows what establishes peace in the hearts of men. He knows what empowers families to subdue their communities. And man, he does everything it can, it seems, to hinder and halt the greatest commandment. And he has influenced this world to be a distracting atmosphere, which leads to eventually disintegration. But God is serious about wanting to remind us about our position with him because we see it over and over in the New Testament. I think that's also why Paul specifically, Jesus several times, and then Paul really doubles down on it, about the, talking about the life of the mind. For us to continually repent. That's the first thing that Jesus says when he comes out of the wilderness in Matthew 3 and 4. The first thing he says that's recorded is repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he just continues to double down on it. Paul takes it even further there. Of the life of the mind. Keep turning back to the truth that you know. That you are already fully whole in Christ. And don't let anything of this world try to disconnect or split or disintegrate that in any way. Stay alert. Keep aware. Renew your mind. Think on things that are heavenly over and over and over again. He's serious about reminding us of our position, with him in Christ. But when we forget and drift back to performing or appearing in some way, we begin to fall apart in our minds. And we drift to disintegration when we get distracted and forget our position and give up this power it seems to subdue the earth. And so I use this term disintegration because I see it so often in the thousands of young people that I get to lead in my in my job. I see it so often in the lives of grown-ups near me as well. I see it so often in my own life where we proclaim to believe the gospel to be true but so often my thoughts and words and actions reflect something different. Where I believe in my heart that God is good and loving and helpful and present and he speaks to me but I think and speak and act in a different way where the world and our flesh and the enemy creeps in and slowly tears us apart, disintegrating us from our true selves. And the problem, again, with disintegration is that we believe we have to work in some way to become more whole in Christ. That sounds dumb as I say it out loud. But we live this way. I I live this way, it seems, so often. I believe that there's like some mystery journey I must go on with the Lord. And if I miss some puzzle pieces along the way, then that sucks for me. Good luck out there, pal. Better retrace your steps. Where he's dropping puzzle pieces of wholeness along the way, and if I miss one, then I'm, uh, that stinks. Now, there is a journey of self-discovery. There is a process of sanctification. But there is nothing about himself that God is withholding from you. Psalm 84, 11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. There is no wholeness or life that he keeps from you. James 1:17, every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. And there is no separation between you and him in any way anymore. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do not let any culturally imported belief take a part of your life. That's where disintegration begins its pattern of work. But believe the truth. That we are whole in Jesus Christ. Amen. From the baby. We are whole in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority this is eternal integration nothing can separate that and from this place we are empowered and inspired to live wholeheartedly with him where our wholehearted God set the tone by being wholeheartedly committed and in love with you with each of us. So you are safe in committing yourself to Him. You are safe in consecrating yourself to Him. Where He promises us in Jeremiah twenty-nine, thirteen, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It doesn't say you will seek me and I'll keep running and we'll play a little weird cat and mouse game. When you seek me with all your heart. No, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. This is earthly integration. The antidote to exhaustion is living wholeheartedly from the place of wholeness in Christ. The antidote to exhaustion is living wholeheartedly from the place of wholeness in Christ. Many of us know John 15 One through five really well. I encourage you to go look at it today this week. We're at the end of his life. Jesus is in what's what's known as the upper room in John 13 through 17. He's at the end of his life. Obviously, he's at the end of his three or or so years with his disciples, and he's he's pretty much giving his last will and testament to the disciples. Where I think in their minds they're like, "Yeah, this is it. We're gonna overthrow religious rule. We're gonna overthrow the Romans." He's the guy that's going to do it. And he's been saying some weird stuff lately, but it's on. (laughs) In John 13, he washes his feet. John 14, 15, 16, he's like, guys, I'm about to leave you. And they're like, this is weird. Because what you're saying isn't matching up with what some of us are thinking. He's like, guys, it's time that I leave. But it is to your advantage that I leave. It's better for you that I no longer be with you in my physical form. And if it's me, I'm sitting there like, that, I don't think, that doesn't make sense, man. I've seen you teach, I've seen you heal, I've seen you multiply food, I've seen you raise Lazarus from the dead, I've seen you just with the word, heal someone who's miles away in another town. I've seen this. I've heard this. I've experienced this. It's go time. And he's like, it's, I'm, it's my time to go. But it's to your advantage. It's better for you that I leave so that I may send the helper to you. So that I may send the one who will fill your hearts and minds and souls and strengths. My very spirit so that my spirit may be endlessly multiplied into all those who believe to teach to heal to perform to do these things that I've showed you to do but ultimately to love people like I love people in John 15 halfway through that last will and testament the upper room teaching John 15 1 through 5 he's like listen I'm divine you're the branches just stay with me Stay with me. I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to give you my mind. 1 Corinthians 2 says that we have the mind of Christ. And so this wholehearted lifestyle has been set up for us by just simply abiding. Just simply walking with him. Every moment of every day. And it's important to recognize that there's going to be times of tiredness. There are going to be moments of exhaustion. There will be times that feel more pressurized than others. There will be stretches where it feels like we are being tugged in multiple directions. He promises in this world, you will have comfort and ease. And no, in this world, you will have trouble. But wholeheartedness is the state of of being that God has already given you in Jesus with his spirit and way of life you, where you don't have to be exhausted or stuck or hopeless anymore. Where you really can, even in the midst of trying times, love God and love people and love yourself. Amen. Amen. Some of you are probably like, eh, that's a weird one. But if you look back at the greatest commandment, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's just an expectation for us, right? Where I've been learning the last eight or nine months to love who he has made me, to love how he has designed me, to love who he is of utmost importance, to love who he is in me. where we really can, in the midst of trying times, love God, people, and ourselves with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength from this place of wholeness. I think that's what it looks like to thrive in every sphere of our life. I think that's what it looks like to live fully alive. So what if your life looked and felt this way? What if your way of working And interacting with responsibilities and relationships in your life looked and felt different. What if you didn't have to feel crushed in the midst of crushing things? Or have you resolved to live a life of disintegration? Because you are still believing and saying, you know, because of my past, because of my hurts, because of my status or education or fill in the blank, my life will always feel this way doesn't have to. This year, today, will you resolve and go all in to a life of wholeheartedness? It starts from that place of wholeness that he has already given us all the way in Christ. So may the alive Holy Spirit graciously empower us to love God, to love ourselves, to love each other to love our kids, to love our neighbors with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength that is already all the way in Christ. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for this life of freedom and abundance that you gave us with all your heart. Thank you that your heart is now in us, through your Spirit. And would you empower this place, these people, would you empower this house today just to be reminded, to come back to, to renew our minds with the reality that we are whole in you, Jesus. There's no work. There's no extra toil, striving that we have to do. It's just a reminder, a repentance, a simple turning back to you. That we are whole and that now imparts upon us this this wholehearted living that you've given us. Would you make anyone in here who is feeling crushed, who's feeling brokenhearted, who's feeling downcast in any way, who's not feeling like themselves lately to come back fully alive by the power of Your Spirit today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.